0: Praise God. Come on, this is a storehouse. You guys can do better than that. Praise God. Amen. So it is an honor to be here. I feel like I've just come home. It's really, it's, it's amazing. Many of you know me, may, many of you may not, but I, I'm, today before we get started, I think I'm going to share a little bit of my personal testimony if you guys don't mind, if that's okay. Um, so I was actually a Baptist pastor. I'm going to let that sink in for a sec. So I was a Baptist pastor, and I had a radical encounter with this one they call the Holy Spirit. And as I, as I, as I, as I had this encounter, all of a sudden, I realized that I'm supposed to be out even more preaching the gospel. So I literally, the Holy Spirit came upon me, and get this, my Bible was open to Jeremiah 3, of all places, and I just begin to read and hear the, the, the heart cry of the Lord for his people. And what amazed me was in Jeremiah, and then I read the book of Hosea, and what amazed me was no matter how far off God's people got, the Lord was always standing there going, I'll take you, I'll take you, I'll take you. I love you, I love you, I love you. So what's amazing is today, We're singing a song I literally felt when I was sitting over there. We're one week out from Love, Dallas, and that worship song that we just sang about your love is all I need, I believe I actually seen in the spirit that it went out as a blanket over the city today that even now people are walking into the streets and the restaurants and everything else and they're being overcome with the tangible presence of the Lord. I believe that was released. I felt that in my heart today that that was released. So and and then even the scriptures that John brought a little while ago it coincides with everything we're going to discuss today. It's the Holy Spirit, guys. He's a whole lot better evangelist than any of us, and he's letting his heart be known. So my name is Russell Wood, and I am a missionary with a group called the Firebase Movement. Uh, It's an amazing movement in which we're going to all these cities, and we're seeing 24-7 prayer, worship, and evangelism take flight. And people think it's like this totally new thing. I'm hearing all these people talking about we're doing something new. We're doing 24-7 adoration and proclamation. It's all throughout Scripture. It's all throughout Scripture. We pray the prayer all the time. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What's going on in heaven right now? Revelations 4 says there is 24-7 worship going on. Revelations 5 speaks about the continuous 24-7 prayer. And Hebrews 1 says the angels are going out proclaiming the gospel. The messengers are being released. So that's what's going on right now. I'm a little excited today. Praise God. So this is my testimony. So, again, I told you I was a Baptist preacher, radical encounter with the Holy Spirit. Stepped out into the prayer movement, got really involved with the prayer movement. I was making all these trips, like three, four, two-week trips to KC, all the time to go to the International House of Prayer because I just wanted to sit and soak in the presence of the Lord and then get up and walk out of that, literally, what your sign says, access heaven and then go out and transform the earth. So that's kind of what I wanted to do. And then I met Tracy, and I met John, and I met several other houses of prayer. So it was like a smorgasbord, man. I would go here one day. I would go here one day because I could reach different areas of the city but still have a place to sit and soak. And that's when I got to go to Reinhard Bonkey School with this lady. Oh, it was amazing. Can I share a quick funny story from Reinhard Bonkey? So I do this little impression of Reinhard, okay? And it kind of got me in trouble. I mean, a little bit. I mean, Tracy hadn't arrived yet, uh, but or maybe she had. I was standing out in the hotel, and I was talking we're right there in the lobby of this big hotel that we're staying at whenever you go to the school. And and there's a guy by the name of Ben Fitzgerald and another guy there, and we're just chatting, we're just talking, and I'm doing my Reinhardt man. I'm I'm literally like, hallelujah! Blessed be the name of Jesus. And then they look at me and I go, the Lord said to me, he said, bonky, you need to preach hot messages. And then I felt this tap and I turned around and and Reinhardt goes, that was pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) So I was a little blown away about that. You know what I mean? But anyway, so got to go to that school, love that school. So much happened at that school. So much took place. I mean, I got the honor of trying to hold Tracy up as she was staggering out the door after she got hit with a fireball right there at the prayer time, so it was amazing. But after that, I got a call from this radical evangelist friend of mine from KC. I developed many spiritual mothers and fathers. Uh, a lady by the name of Lori Ditto has really become a strong spiritual mother to me. And then this great guy that you guys may know here in the house, he's been here a few times, uh, named Josh McDonald. Okay, so Josh calls me up and he says, listen, Russell, they are doing this crazy thing in L.A. You have got to come check it out. So I'm like, okay, man, what are they doing? And he goes, they're trying to marry night and day prayer and night and day mission and evangelism. So I'm like, okay, let's go. Beloved, I remember as it was yesterday, I walked into the Mount Auditorium and I looked and I seen the, the intercessors going hard after God. I mean, travailing and going at, I mean, about Walmart. I mean, they were like, break into the Walmarts. I mean, it was nuts. The worshipers were singing, break into the Walmart. I mean, it was, it was, I mean, it was intense. And I'm sitting there and I'm seeing all of these, all of these people coming in, going into the briefing and they're weeping already. They're crying because of what God is fixing to do. He's fixing to release his word. And when his word goes forth, people get saved, healed and delivered. Amen. And then I'm noticing these people coming out on the other side. They just got through with the debrief. So they just got back from outreach, and now they're going out. And as they're going out, they're weeping, but not because of what God did in the streets, but because of what he did in their own heart as they got activated into the Great Commission. And I am sitting there, and I'm like, what is going on? So all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, God, we got to do this in Dallas. We've got to do this in this city that I love. We have to do this in Dallas. So I come home, and, man, we start the planning. You know, we're setting up leadership. We're doing this. We're getting after it. And then something very strange happens. Something very strange happens. I begin to lose my voice. Many of you might even remember when I came and taught at one of the trainings right there at the end. I mean, I come in the storehouse wheezing. You just don't do that, right? Everybody wants to pray for you. So, like, everybody started praying for me, but I kept this wheezing thing going on. I couldn't figure it out. I would literally walk from here to that door over there, and I would be out of breath. I would have to stop because I was, and I hid all of this from everybody the best that I could, because I just believe I was going to persevere. And, and the crazy thing about it was I couldn't breathe. So you know who I targeted? People with oxygen machines. Man, I wanted to pray for them. I wanted to see them healed. It was like a smacking the devil, right in his eye whenever they got healed. But I went, my wife, it finally got so bad. I mean, I love my wife, guys. I'm going to tell every one of you in this room, guys, I know you think you have the best wife in the world. You're wrong. I do. And she is there for me through thick and thin. And she finally says, Russell, go to a doctor. And I'm like, I don't want to go to a doctor. She said, go to a doctor. So I go to a doctor. How many of you ever had a scan where they put the tube up your nose and look down your throat? They're horrible. And that little spray that they give you, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't help. It, it doesn't help. I mean, they spray it, taste horrible. And then they ram a garden hose up your nose. And so I'm laying there and he, he sticks it up my nose and down to my vocal cords and he pulls it right out and he says, we have to do surgery right now. What? You have a mass that's blocking 72% of your vocal cords, your throat, and it's going to close off. You're breathing through like a straw. And they said, listen, the surgery is very dangerous because we can't innovate you. So we literally have to go in, cut it out real quick and then shoot air into your lungs. So I'm like freaking out, right? So I go and I, and, and I have, okay, let's go. So we have this surgery. I come out of this surgery about a week's gone by. I've got my voice back. I can breathe. I feel great. I go to this doctor's visit and they tell me, they said, Mr. Wood, it's, it's, it's growing back. So they said, um, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to see what the results of the biopsy say. So they came back and they said, Mr. Wood, you have cancer. So you're going to have to undergo radiation treatments. They were gonna do what's called the gamma knife. Anybody in the medical field in here? They were gonna do what's called the gamma knife on my throat, but I didn't qualify. I don't know what the the, the stipulations are for the gamma knife. So they did, uh, I was gonna have to undergo the full 30 days of radiation. And then after that, if it didn't work, then I was gonna have to go through chemotherapy. They were gonna do radiation first because they said they've seen more success in the particular cancer that I had um, see more successful doing the radiation first. So I'm like, wow. I mean, I'm blown away. We set the appointment up. I wish, I don't know if Tracy remembers this, but I disappeared like nobody's seen me because I wish I could say that I just for a year, I wish I could say, I just stood up and I was like in the name of Jesus, but that is not what happened. And I'm saying this, I I was sitting over there, you know, wrestling whether to even bring this up or not, because I think that there may be some of you that maybe not that specific thing, but are kind of wrestling with the same ordeal in this room today. So I, 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 I literally sat there and I was like, I was ready to die. I mean, I had shrunk down into a corner and I had like darkness and depression completely overtake me. And I remember I got a phone call from this wild, crazy, crusty missionary friend of mine, and he calls me up, and he's got this pastor friend of mine on three-way, and I guess my wife had reached out to him because I had had all I could stand. I couldn't even stand looking at my wife or looking at my kids because I, I, I was being very greedy. I wasn't necessarily thinking about what they were going to lose as much as that I, how much I was going to miss them. So one night I jump in my truck and I take off and I'm bawling and I'm crying. And I think my wife kind of caught wind of that and she called him. So they call me up and, and, uh, and Josh is on the phone. A guy by the name of Josh Massey, he's on the phone and, and he listened. He did the ministry of listening. He let me get it all out. And then he said, who am I talking to right now? And I was like, hey, man, that's not funny right now. I mean, I'm, I'm hurting here. And he goes, no, 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 no. It's a a legitimate question. Who am I talking to right now? And I was like, hey, man, listen, it's not funny. And he goes, no, it's not. And I'm going to ask you one more time, who am I talking to right now? And I said, bro, you're kind of ticking me off here, man. Did you not hear the situation that I was in? And he told me, he said, oh, I heard. That's why I'm asking you. He said, because You used to go out and preach sonship more than anybody I've ever met in my life, and right now you're acting like a little orphan. And sometimes you have to be really close to somebody to receive the hard words. Because when he said that, I was like, I will hang up. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, Pastor Buck Marshall jumped in, and he said, Hey, man, do you know what? In ancient Israel, he said, whenever a member of royalty, a son, or a prince would step up, or even in Rome or anywhere else in in Europe, when they would step up, everyone else would be quiet because they weren't speaking, they were declaring. He said, why don't you just stop praying for a minute and start declaring over your own life? And I'm like, shut up, man. I don't want to hear this stuff right now. And he goes, no, I'm not playing. I will come over there, Russell. You need to say this right now. I will live and I will not die. And I'm literally, I, I didn't, I didn't I wasn't giving it everything. I was kind of like, I'll live and I won't die. <laughs> and then he said, say it again. And I was like, I will live and I will not die. Say it again. I will live and I will not die. By the end of it, I'm standing up in my truck screaming. People drive I thinking I'm crazy. I'm, I will live and I will not die. And then I spoke. And when I go in there tomorrow, they're going to tell me it looks like nothing was ever there. So the next day comes around. I'm like in beast mode, man. I'm in that. I, I'm I'm seriously sitting in that waiting room, like just like chomping at a bit. Like I'm finna preach the gospel to everybody in here. <laughs> I'm finna preach the gospel to everybody here. And my wife looks at me, and I said, I said they're gonna say it. Looks like nothing was ever there. They're gonna say that. That's what they're gonna say, shit. That's what they're gonna say. And she goes, okay, baby. <laughs> we get up and we walk in there. There's an oncologist, a radiologist, and a PA. The PA. Is, is the one you know handing them all the stuff. The radiologist is looking in a screen while he sticks that, that that scanner up there. He sticks it up and he turns around and the oncologist in there and he goes. And he pulls the thing out and kind of goes like that, and they walk out of the room. And I said, I asked the PA, I just got quiet for a minute. I'm like, hey, remember me? I'm over here still. And I was like, What did they see? And he goes, that's the weird thing, man, nothing. It looks like nothing was ever there. That's right. That's right. So, I mean, after all of this took place, now immediately when I read Acts 420, that says literally, you know, they're being threatened with death. And they literally go, you don't get it, man. We can't help but speak of the things that we've seen and heard. Because we know Jesus saves because he saved us, and we know that he heals because he's healed us, and now it's a fire burning inside of us that we can't hold back, and if we try to hold it back, the rocks will proclaim it. So we get back, we start planning for Love, Dallas. We're like, all right, man, it's go time. Let's do this. So we decided to go to New York, and i seen this. I mean, this, the testimonies, again, were beyond measure. I have... I have been in the trenches as an evangelist. I've been preaching the gospel and telling people about the Lord, and I've seen great fruit, but I've never seen ridiculous fruit like this. We walk into, uh, how many of you have been to New York? All right, how many of you have been to Queens? How many of you have been to Corona Queens? Corona Queens, you don't go at 3 a.m. There's like, I mean, unless you have a police escort, because there's literally like, you remember paddy wagons? They still have those. They, like, drive around, like, get ready to arrest 10, 15 people at one time. So we're there at 3 a.m., and we're just out, just like, walking, got guitars. We're like, Jesus, we're just playing the guitar. And people are looking at us like, these people have lost their mind. We walk into a Dunkin' Donuts, man, and I'm not kidding you. This guy just turns around and literally is like, what must I do to be saved? I looked at the guy that was with me, Theo, and I go, did he just say what I think he just said? And he said, yeah, and Theo sits down, well, I'm glad you asked. The guy gets radically saved right there in the middle of the Dunkin' Donuts. And it's not because, you know, of, we, didn't, we weren't walking around with Bibles and suits and briefcases. It's the better evangelist, the Holy Spirit, had already visited there. That when you mix worship and prayer, principalities have to move out of the way. Because you're creating a citywide altar for the holy of holies. For the Lord God Almighty. And they can't be there. I mean, if they're there, they know they got to bow down on their knees. So this guy gets radically saved. So we go to New York. We see all of this stuff. We walk up to this one. One of my favorite ones was we walked up to this, uh, to this Muslim guy. Uh, we had just left Laundry of Love. We're doing that at Love Dallas. You guys ever done that before? It's when you take like 10 bucks and you, and you go out in teams into Laundry mats and you just walk around and start paying for people's laundry and they look at you like, what in the world are you doing? Glad you asked. And then you just freely we have received, freely we're giving. So we're just showing the same love that was extended to us in a practical manner that will bless you. So we just finished doing that. And we walk, we walk down the street, and there is an Islamic priest that is standing outside, and he's talking to two of our guys. Now, one of the guys actually was Muslim, and he had, he had been converted into Christianity. So when we walk up in the midst of all of this, they're in a big-time debate, man. They're getting it. They're apologetic it up, man. They're, they're doing this stuff. And it was so wild. We walk up, and the Lord's like, he's got a pain in his knee. Like okay, hey man, what's going on with your knee? He goes, what? <laughs> I said, and your back right now, and he goes, what? And no, who is this guy? And we're standing there, and it was I get the word for the, for the for the knee, and the other guy got the word for the back that was with me, and all of a sudden we, you know, they don't. You just don't get the opportunity to pray for very many Muslims, you know, unless it be by the Holy Spirit, you know. So we're like, hey, man. So we started talking with him about scripture and basically talked about his own Quran. And I don't know if you guys have ever read the Quran, but Jesus is so edified in that Quran above like every other prophet, every other name, everybody in there. So his own Quran explained to him who Jesus was. And then right after that, after he had heard the word, he goes, wow, uh, sure, you could pray for my knee. So he leans his knee out there. We pray for his knee and then we go, all right, man, try it out. And he starts to walk off. It was so funny. He'd come running back over there going, pray for my back, pray for my back, pray for my back. So, I mean, this is the type of stuff we're seeing in New York. I mean, this is crazy. This is wild. So then we leave New York and we go to Love Twin Cities. In Love Twin Cities, we've seen ridiculous stuff, like peoples with broken bones snap back into place, like snap back into place. I had an evangelical student um, uh, with one of the Baptist um, seminaries that was up in that area that had came out with me. And he had never seen anything like this. And he put his hand on this guy's shoulder and commanded that thing to be healed. And you could hear it, see it, that it, when it literally snapped back into place, and the guy was like, "What?" I mean, not the guy that got healed, the, the other guy, the college student. He he was blown away. That guy got saved. He got he got filled with the Holy Spirit, and he got his shoulder healed that day, right there outside the Twin Stadium. We did an outreach going into the Twins game, so the same things were happening up there. So then we get down here, man, and we really start planning Love Dallas. So Love Dallas is December the third through the tenth. It's a marriage of the great commandments and the great commission to love God, love others, and to preach the gospel and make disciples. Love Dallas is exactly that. It's all about God's love. There is no one, Every Home for Christ, we met with those guys not long ago, and they looked at us and they said, You guys are like starfish. And I was like, What, is, what did he mean by that? I didn't know. The, I've never read that starfish book that everyone talks about. It's a big business book. And basically, it means if you're cut in half, two more will spring up. Uh, He goes, It was so close to, it was so hard to find a leader. One of the other guys looked at him and go, Oh, yeah, it's easy. You know him. It's Jesus. Because nobody's after any internal glory, except we're just after preaching the gospel and seeing Jesus receive the reward for his suffering. That's what we're about, about seeing Jesus proclaimed over Dallas. Like the businesses, like when they're in the, their office buildings, they're looking out going, praise be to the lamb, praise be to the one that died for us. They're joining in with the eternal song that's being sung in Revelation 4, and they have an invite at the Starbucks where they work out. As a street, I mean, as the police officers, the, 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 uh, the firemen, every one of them are looking and thinking, my city is forever changed. It's forever changed, and it's all changed by the power of the gospel, beloved, by the power of the gospel. One of my favorite stories is Reinhard's. When Reinhard does his, uh, his testimony, he talks about, he says, he says, I remember I was just a missionary, and he goes, I remember the days of the great healing evangelist. He said, we hired the healing evangelist, and he was coming, and people from all around began to come from miles and miles. People were dragging themselves the paralytics to get there across the ground. And he goes, it's like 30 minutes before the healing crusade starts. I look out and there is a sea of people and there's no healing evangelist. He said, I went to the hotel and his exact words were, and he was standing there in a safari suit. He said, I pulled up and said, what are you doing? You're supposed to be preaching the gospel. You're supposed to be healing the sick. The, the, all, the, all the hurt and broken have come. And he says, he says, no, Bonki, he says, this morning, the Lord told me you're the one that's supposed to do it. So I'm going on safari. And Bonky said, I told him you need to pray again. <laughs> so Bonki says he shows back up at the crusade. He had no idea what he was going to do. And he said that he heard from the Lord and the Lord said, Bonki, you preach the gospel and I Will supply the signs and wonders. Bonky went out and he began to preach on the blood of Jesus, and people begin to raise wheelchairs and say, "I'm healed." People begin to raise canes. Blind people begin to say, "I can see," because there is power and there is life in the gospel. Guys, I'm going to tell you a story. We just come back from Love San Francisco. How many of you have been to San Francisco? Oh my gosh, I, I literally, if that city wasn't so stinking expensive, I would, I would literally vacation there every year. That, that would be my spot. It's a beautiful, it's cloudy all the time. I like it. You know, every now and then you go to the Sun Belt, which is like this little particular area there and you get some sunshine. But then when you want to, you just step back into the, sh- into the shade. But it's, it's like 72 degrees in June and 72 degrees in December. So it's perfect. But um, we went for this thing called Love San Francisco, which actually was truly amazing. We got, every, I think everyone, that, Mark, Mark is our media guy, by the way. We call him media fire. He's the one that put that video together. Isn't Mark amazing, everyone? Yay. He's like, he's like John the Beloved. He's like, I want them to see who they're clapping at, that I am the favorite. <laughs> and then, of course, Lindsay and Josh got to go with us. Uh, Got to go with us to San Francisco, and uh, we'll never be the same, right, bro? Never be the same. Uh, I, I, it was crazy Is I had, I had been going out there two or three weeks in advance. We haven't even got the scripture. This is still the opening up. I'm an evangelist, and they gave me the mic. Uh, so literally, we have, So we, 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 I've been going out like weeks in advance to go and mobilize the church, to literally go before the church like I am right now and do a mobilization and mobilize people into being a part to joining up and signing up. And, uh, and so I go and I'm at the Golden Gate Bridge and I'm on the phone guys. I'm in a great mood. I'm like on the phone with my bride because I don't like to ever miss anything like that with her. So I'm on, I'm on on FaceTime and I'm showing her, I'm teasing her. I'm going, there's Alcatraz (laughs) and I'm showing her the Golden Gate Bridge and everything else. And she's like, Oh, it's so beautiful. And I'm in such a good mood. And I, I, I take my phone and I get off of it. And I'm standing there next to the edge. There's like a wire right there in front of it. And I'm not kidding you. I had the strangest urge to throw myself off that thing. And I was like, yeah, that's not Jesus. And the weird thing was about an hour and a half later, we get back to the fire base. And there's some more guys, there's one guy, he's like a hardcore intercessor, like, he's like, aloo. I mean, he is like, Really hardcore and he's like going crazy in the prayer room. And he grabs me and he pulls me aside and he says, Russell, I did the golden gate outreach. And the strangest thing was when I was there, I wanted to throw myself off the bridge. And then another guy named Colin Akers come up and he actually even heard the word. He said, I felt like I was supposed to throw all myself off. And I even heard the word jump. So he he audibly heard it. And we're like, This is nuts. So we started investigating, and there's been over sixteen hundred suicides. 1600 suicides from that bridge. I was like, oh my goodness. And every time they've tried to put in the suicide nets, it's been declined. But yet people still continue to jump. People will be just walking down that thing and just grab it, hurdle it and go over the side. Just because there's a strong spirit or principality of suicide and death there. So listen to this crazy tribe, Tracy, that I run with. So I go back and, I, and we tell them that. And the next thing you know, that bridge, John, is lined with intercessors, man, throwing oil, saying, in the name of Jesus, man. They, they've, got, they've got stakes, man. They're oiling stakes and staking them in the ground and all of this stuff that took place. I'm like, come on, man. But this, 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 this goes to show me this thing really works. That night. I led to 9 p.m., the 3 a.m. outreach into the Tenderloin. You guys that have been to San Francisco, into the Tenderloin, man. You can't go more than 20 feet without seeing 30 people in a drug-induced stupor. Heroin, meth, crack, the whole thing. Man, we go out, and it was literally like a blanket of God's love just landed on that thing. Everybody we came into contact with. People were getting prayed for. They were removing casts. They were backs. One guy had his L1, L2, and L3 that were fused together. They had been walking like this most of his life. And the Lord that night completely straightened his back back out. But the best thing to me is I come around the corner, and there's there's this young lady who's totally manifesting a demonic spirit when we went to walk up. And then there's a guy right here. And then there's a young man sitting on his cardboard over here. We come around the corner. And he kind of looks at us and he's like, Hey. And we're like, Hey, man. And I walk by him and I go, Bro, what's your story? And he goes, Let me see that guitar and I'll sing it to you. So he gets this guitar and he, Am I okay back here with the camera? I'm a walker, man. I like to walk. So uh, stop, go back. Is there like, is there limits? There's like a wall. Oh, okay. So there's, um, so we walk up to him and we're sitting there and he literally goes, We hand him the guitar, and he plays. He's one of the most talented musicians I've ever seen in my life. But his song was heartbreaking. His song consisted of suicide, death, and darkness. And I said, hey, man, that song seems like really close to your heart. I mean, what in the world? Where'd that come from? And he said, my girlfriend just committed suicide. My best friend was just shot and killed, and I'm a heroin addict. I have nothing to live for. And I, where I'm like, man, that is. So I said, do you mind if we sit down and just chat with you? He said, sure. Pull up some cardboard. That's literally what he said. I thought it was kind of cool. So we sat down there by him. Now, listen, beloved, we were not sitting there shoving the gospel down his throat. We were loving him. The heart cry of the, in Dallas, the homeless, we asked them. we say, hey, what is the one thing that you wish the church would do? And he said, just talk to us and acknowledge us. Just talk to us. So we sit down there with him, and we was so wild. He, start, he just turns rough in. He just turns, and he looks like Matthew. He's looking at you, and he goes, hey, man, I, you ever feel like there's something missing in your life? Like, like there's something you've been searching for, but you just haven't found it yet? I have like this emptiness in me, and I don't know what it is, and I don't know what to do. What do you think? Colin looks at him and he didn't, he didn't, I expect the Colin to go like full force. He just looks at him and goes, I don't know, man. That's a good question. What are you feeling in your heart? And then, so we just engaged and talked to him for a few minutes, heard about his parents, heard his story of how he got there. And he literally said, when all of a sudden I get a word for him and I look at him and I said, Kyle, I think the Lord's telling me that you're a locksmith. And that each door that you've ever been, uh, been, been exposed to, you've been able to open with ease. But there's one door that you can't open by yourself. But I've got good news for you. Someone's on the other side knocking right now. And they want to know you, the real you. Not, you don't have to put on a facade. You don't have to change who you are. You just have to know them. So he says, okay. So all of a sudden, Colin pulls out one of the Time to Revive books. Boom, right there in San Fran. The guy starts turning through there. He reads the scripture, and then he starts going, this is what I need. This is what's missing. I need Jesus. I need a relationship with this man. I need a relationship with Christ. So right then, we didn't even have to say, say my prayer. He just throws the book down and he's like, Father, I turn from all of my sin and everything and give my whole heart to you right now, Lord. Father, I, 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 I know you who you say you are. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God and I give everything to you. And then he got baptized in the Holy Spirit right there on the cardboard, baby. I mean, like right there. Here's the kicker. So we start, we're talking with him and we start engaging with this other person over there. Well, a young missionary friend of mine that's actually with us, he's, he's over at Prayer Mountain preaching this morning named Josh Smith. He walks up. And when he walks up, he goes, the Lord told me to tell Kyle to sing another song. So he said, Kyle, can you play another song? And he said, all of a sudden, like his whole countenance changed, and he starts playing this incredible song to the Lord, worshiping from his heart, like, like, I mean, his own song. It was absolutely amazing. And then while we're engaged over here, he looks at Josh, and this is what he says. He says, guys, listen. He says, you have no idea what took place tonight. Those two have absolutely no idea that the spiritual broke in and stopped what was fixing to happen in the physical, because tonight I was going to kill myself. So that night, where darkness tried to overshadow, and death tried to snuff out, the fire of God broke in, and new life sprung up, because of prayer, because of worship, and because of walking out that stuff, and preaching the gospel. So turn with me to Exodus 3. Do I have a time limit? I need to be done by four, right? Four o'clock. I have read so many stories and scriptures, guys, that 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 I had never seen this until until the Holy Spirit like illuminated this whole 24-7 paradigm to me on a whole nother level. I had never seen it, and now I'm seeing it all through Scripture. Exodus chapter 3. Oh, I love this. It's so cool. I get to love people for a living. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, pay special attention to this. I will turn aside to see this great sight, while the bush is not burned. Then the Lord saw that he had turned aside, and God called to him and said, Moses, Moses, here I am. I think when I read this now, I see like a, a living movie screen of the church right now. I believe with all of my heart when I read this, that God is calling his church to a more intimate relationship in the secret place. Not just a simple prayer before bedtime, not just a simple prayer before you eat, but in the secret place, in the holy of holies. Guys, that's the good news. The veil's torn. We can enter in and literally be there with him, and sup with him, and fellowship with him. It's not a monologue. He's not far away. It's a dialogue. He wants it up close and personal. And we get to do that. But notice that Moses had a choice. Moses had a choice to turn aside and to go into the secret place, just like every one of us in this room do. Every one of us in here do. We have a choice. But let me tell you the three things that take place when you're in the secret place. The first thing is, is a level of humility that you have never known comes upon you because you're, you're fully aware of your identity in Christ. The cool thing about John 13, I, I don't guys, I love the whole Bible. My kids say I say this about everything. Like, you always say that's your favorite scripture. But I, I literally could read John 12 through 17 every day. I mean, to me, it's like, Wow. I mean, I could read that and then Matthew 5 through 7, over and over and over and over and over, and then, of course, Revelation, because that's just a hobby of mine. But I absolutely love what he says in 13, and I've never caught it until just now or just, just a while back. You realize that Jesus, right before he washed the feet of the disciples, something took place in his own, in his own heart right then. He, it literally says, because Jesus knew where he came from, he knew who he was, and he knew where he was going, that he could set aside his own robes and enter in as a servant and get low. It's because of his identity as a son and as royalty that he could go low. That's what happens when you enter the secret place. There's a new level of humility that's opened up to us because there's a new level of understanding of who we are in Christ. The second thing that begins to take place is you start to see things differently because there's a baptism of anguish that comes over people. You know, the the scripture tells us that the blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of Abel because the blood of Jesus cries out for mercy and the blood of Abel cries out for justice. So when you... Bathe in the secret place. When you stay there in your alone time with the Lord, you see people totally different. You see people through the heart of God. You see through people through the bloodstained lenses. You see people like you've never seen them before and the Lord actually gives you that anguish and he gives you that heart. And the third thing that happens is after you know you can go low and after you know who you are and you see people for who they are and with with the way God sees them, then you can stand up with such a boldness in you that you'll charge hell with a water gun. Not even playing because of their time in the secret place. Now notice the very beginning of chapter four. It says, Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me, nor listen to my voice. For the Lord said, The Lord did not appear to you. The the Lord said to them, What is that in your hand? Please pay special attention to that. What is in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand that they might believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, had appeared to you. Again the Lord said to them, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put it back in his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Beloved, I want to submit to you today that because of his time in the secret place, because of his time in secret, The Lord rewarded with signs and wonders openly and publicly. Turn to John 6 real quick. How many of you love scripture? We're going to go through quite a bit of it in a short amount of time. John chapter 6. Very familiar passage of scripture, especially in this house, I know. But sometimes we just need to reiterate just a little bit. I don't know about you, but anything's repeated to me sometimes. Sometimes. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward openly. It's that time in the secret place that causes a birthing to where the Lord can say, now I can send you out. And when you go out and you preach the word, all hell will tremble because the power of God will come not just through the preaching of the gospel, but with signs and wonders, which will accompany it. Remember when I said to look at that spot that said, what's in your hand? Check this out. Turn to Matthew 10 chapter seven or verse seven. We just heard that a few minutes ago, didn't we? And proclaim as you go saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You receive without paying, give without paying. If you look it up in Luke, Luke 10, it actually says the kingdom of heaven is drawing near. If you translate it from the original Greek out of the Septuagint, it literally means the kingdom of heaven is right there. You can grab it. It's right in front of you. So it was, I don't think of any, I, I believe that it's there for a specific reason that the Lord specifically asked him, what's in your hand right now? He said, oh, it's a staff. Guys, I want to ask everybody that's in this room right now, everybody that's here at Storehouse, what is in your hand? What is in your hand right now? I remember one of the cool things about growing up as a Baptist boy is I remember, let me tell you something, guys. I think in a lot of ways the Baptist denomination prays harder for the lost than than, than the charismatic people. That is one thing. I remember, oh, man, goodness, whew. I remember walking in and seeing 50, 60 men and women laying on the ground with puddles of tears, puddles, guys, streaming, snot face, don't care, just everywhere. Don't in in a in a level of travail to where all they could do is moan and groan. Why? Because they thought of their lost mom who doesn't know Jesus. They were thinking of their lost brother who doesn't know Jesus. They were thinking of their coworkers who don't know Jesus. How many of you in this room right now can tell me you can raise your hand and say that you have a family member that doesn't know Jesus? How many of you in this room have a mom that doesn't know Jesus? How many of you in this room have a dad that doesn't know Jesus? See, there's something very, very specific. The Lord's had me in this weird stirring of the ministry of tears here lately and what the ministry of tears looks like. One of our our interns with, with, with with our ministry said, Russell, can you describe the kingdom of God in two words? And I said, Jesus wept. There's something very powerful that takes place when we shed tears. There's three things in particular. It's a proven fact that as we begin to cry, that it doesn't just do stuff to the eyes, but the entire body. So when we begin to cry, the first thing that happens is toxins are expelled out of the body. It's one of the main ways of purification. So stuff starts to come up and out. Beloved, right now, if we think about the church and we think about what's happened in the church, there's a level of repentance that once it comes out, that God can move in a way, in a fashion that, he has been, that he's never got to move before. The second thing that happens is healing. Healing to the entire body begins to happen when we weep and when we cry. And the last thing that happens is restoration. It's even a proven fact that cells that were dead, listen body, the cells that were dead become alive again. That restoration begins to take place. It is restored as if it was before. Weeping. Weeping and crying for our loved ones. Jesus wept. Look at Psalms 126. It's another very familiar passage of Scripture. It's this crazy journey the Lord's had me on, reading Hosea, reading Jeremiah, reading Psalms. You know, Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. Well, what's all the crying about? And then I found 126 and remembered the Scripture. Verse five. It says, those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Guys, it's our job as messengers. I know I'm supposed to be talking about love Dallas right now, but I believe this is a big, important task. We got to learn to cry out for the lost. We've got to learn in our own personal time to cry out. Listen, the gospel's really good news, and we know it. Why wouldn't we want our beloved, why wouldn't we want our family and our friends to be exposed to it? It's really good news, guys. We're looking for, we're calling forth a generation with a Joel 2 heart that walks in an Acts to lifestyle. Ones that aren't afraid to pray and sit on the altar and weep and cry. And in the same token, get up and walk and say, freely I've received, freely I give. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. That's not just biblical times. That's 2016. Yeah. That's 2016. That's right now. That's what Dallas needs. Dallas has been covered in this horrible apathy to where we're okay with two hours on Sunday. Sunday. And then maybe a midweek service. And the Lord desires us a relationship. It's a love story, guys. Everything that was sung earlier, it's all about love. Because there's three things that Jesus is mentioned as, or God God is mentioned as, over and over and over again in Scripture. Number one, God is holy. Number two, God is fire. And number three, God is love. It's not just an attribute. It's in his very being. It's who he is. And it's repeated over and over and over. We want to love Dallas, guys. I'm not beating you up. I love you. I'm cheering you on. Go team. <laughs> I'm serious. We want to love Dallas. We want to love DFW. It starts on our knees with pools of tears, crying out for those people, those lost ones. Are we content with our family members going to hell? It's a hard question. I'm asking. I'm asking. Are we? We're not because we've heard the good news. And because we heard a good news, why would we want to hold that back from anybody else? Guys, there is people that are only, from December the 3rd through December the 10th, there is people that are only going to come to Christ if you open your mouth. People in this room. Well, I, I don't know what to say, Russell. I mean, I, don't, I, mean, you know, I, I struggle with that sometimes. It's okay. It's really okay. Re- Revelations 12 says the strongest two things that we have is the word of our testimony and the blood of the lamb. The blood of the lamb is the gospel. If you can give them your own personal testimony and smear in the gospel, that's all you need to do. I mean, I have a brother that and he's actually pretty, pretty, pretty proficient at sharing the gospel now. But before all he would do is tell his story. And he would call me up like God, the hardware store just gave his heart to Jesus. I mean, he's, he's big, rough, tough, bow, bow man, bow hunter, big. So he, he, does all, he does all that. I mean, he's, yeah, big beard, way down here. He's my little brother, and I look at him, and I go, now listen. <laughs> but he, he calls me up, and he tells me these stories. So how about it, church? How about it, man? Are, are we ready to do this gospel thing? Are we ready to be all in and not just talk about it on a Sunday morning? Are we ready to spend some time between the porch and the altar weeping for the lost and then get up out of that place of weeping and take it out into the streets and actually be the foot to those prayers we prayed? You know, something I find hilarious is uh, if you read Acts chapter 12, and John, you know the story where Peter gets arrested, right? So Peter gets arrested, Peter's in a jail, and they're having this awesome prayer meeting, man. They really are. They're having this crazy, Father God. I mean, I could see Lou there. Father God, free Peter God, free Peter God. You know, I could see it. I could see it going on. I mean, they're all in. And an angel of the Lord shows up and actually does what they ask, like sets him free. So then he gets set free and he comes out and he's knocking on the door. And a little girl gets up and she goes and she goes, Who's there? It's Peter. She runs back and she says, "She says, hey, Peter's at the door. And they're like, no, he's not. We're praying. Stop right now in Jesus' name. you know." And 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 they're praying and praying and praying. Finally, somebody got up from the prayer meeting and actually walked and opened the door. That's the same thing, guys. You can't have prayer without preaching, and you can't preach without prayer. Reinhard Bonnke will not do a crusade unless there's 24-7 prayer going on in that city. When he did the Houston crusade not long ago, we got down there and got to spend a long time in that 24-7 house of prayer. Because he knows it's the prayer that breaks the yoke. You guys heard of Charles Finney, right? Okay, you guys ever heard of two guys that hardly anybody ever talks about named Father Nash and Abel Clary? So Father Nash and Abel Clary, they actually went one day. It was kind of funny. They went to this bed and breakfast and they're at this bed and breakfast, and, and, and Charles Finney, you know, he pays the bill for them. And the, the bed and breakfast owner actually call, calls Finney up and says, hey, you better come check on your people. They're not eating anything. They're not drinking anything. And all we hear is moaning and groaning when we walk by the room. And he starts laughing, and he says, it's the spirit of prayer. It's travail. And it was a few days after that that they called and said, okay, it, the time is now. And hundreds of thousands gave their people to Christ, even coming in on the boat. Nobody was open airing. They just fell under the fear and presence of the Lord and begin to cry out in repentance. Is that not the craziest thing? What about Dallas? What about next week? What if next week, what could happen would set the precedence for historic revival that will burn until Jesus comes back? What if that what if that's what if we begin right now? What if a week ahead of time we begin to pray and we begin to fast and we begin to seek the face of the Lord for the lost people in our stores, our neighborhoods, and our homes? What would happen if thousands of people gave their heart to Christ and then were discipled to go out and do the next thing or do the same thing? I'll tell you what would happen awakening and then true transformation where you didn't just see it just in the church, but you also seen it crossing into business and crossing into entertainment. And it kept going and going and going with one agenda and one agenda only, and that's to make Jesus famous. I love you guys. You guys are awesome. Anybody feel beat up? If you feel beat up, raise your hand. You feel loved? You feel loved? If you feel loved, raise your hand. That's good, because, again, I'm your cheerleader. I'm not not here to beat anybody up, guys, because it takes all of us. Seriously, Russell Wood is just one guy trying to do one thing, being obedient. But God has hundreds of children that are going to be taking part in this thing. Love Dallas, 24-7 prayer, 24-7 evangelism, and 24-7 worship going on at the same time. And we think, I was talking with Wade Aaron with Time to Revive. There is no accident that this is right before the Great 50. I, we believe in all of our heart this is setting a precedence of worship, uh, setting up a citywide altar, and marinating this thing, tilling the soil, if you will. How many farmers in here, anybody? Can you plant anything without tilling the ground first? Not really. Seeds won't take root, Right. Right. So that's that's kind of where our heart is, but I want to journey back real quick to this ministry of tears thing. Oh, oh, okay. I want to I want (laughs) to close. So, Father, I'm so thankful. (laughs) I am so thankful, Father, that you are amazing, and that you love to preach about your kingdom. Lord, I ask that in this room right now, that a full-blown baptism of anguish will take place, and freely I've received, freely I give, God, in this room, a fresh, a fresh baptism of your Holy Spirit, a fresh baptism of anguish, where people will see and feel and know the Father's heart for the lost and the hurting and the broken God that this goes way past Love Dallas and becomes a lifestyle of walking in first love intimacy and mission. So Father, I pray that you bless everyone here, bless this house, and thank you for the awesome fun we're gonna have next week. In Jesus' name, amen.